podcasters we're back it's been a while episode eight been all over and back i've got my man here levi levi what's going on my brother not much my man not much how about you bro living the life working that's about it if you ain't working you ain't playing the game (laughs) that's a fact that's a fact um (laughs) dude so we went to NWTF. We had us a good little, good little time, a little mossy, mossy oak action. That was fun. Um, got to visit with you at the booth. That was fun. Did you, uh, did you enjoy it or what? Man, it was, it was a historic moment just for I think NWTF and the convention itself. But uh, it was my second time being at NWTF, and both of them being with Rolling Thunder, and I just, um, it. It was a historic moment just for the reasons of the booth was just doing so well and people were just supporting the BSOD release and the BSOD release just really gave birth to what people love about Rolling Thunder and that's like kind of the history that goes into it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me, because I know you, the, the listeners might not, tell me a little bit about you. What What goes on in your head? What do we got? Man, I grew up in Mitchell, South Dakota, and South Dakota, many people just like they don't even think about that state or or know about it really. And growing up there for you know twenty three years or twenty four years, um, it it it's really a blessing when you think about the prairie. But man, what goes on through my head, especially with waterfowl, is it's just it's like a it's a never ending learning process. And I feel like that's why a lot of people love it and do it. And that's why I love and do it is because it don't matter where you go or what you do. There's a thousand different places and even the singular state that you live in that you could potentially hunt a different bird or, you know, hunt a bird a different way. So it's kind of my process, I guess. That's awesome. That's awesome. So now you, you have moved to um, Tennessee. Tennessee is where you reside now. That is, uh, my peer residency is in Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I moved here. It would have been last year, the beginning of duck season, Arkansas duck season, which is November 18th. And yeah, I've been, been living here for about a year and a half now. That's awesome. And now what, what made you move to Tennessee? What brought you to Tennessee? Well, when I started my podcast, what it helped me benefit by networking with a whole bunch of people well i got into some phone conversations with um some gentlemen and one of them happened to know spence halford pretty well and spence halford was looking for a guy that was a cameraman and you know wanted to get his feet into the industry and um so forth and spence ended up messaging me on instagram and we ended up doing like a two-week interview and that's kind of where the stepping foot of how I got to Tennessee, it didn't, it didn't take much of a, if I was going to do it or if I got hired, am I going to take it or not? It was just to determine if it was a yes or no on his end and it became a yes on his end. And I drove home and packed all my belongings that I thought that I needed to bring with me to move completely and ended up 
driving back down 14 or yeah 14 hours back turned around and went back down got there my first day on the job was in the flooded timber in arkansas so it was a it was an eye-opening experience from the get-go and it's been just a never-ending pro or it's just been a never never-ending story i yeah. can't get the words out of my mouth and so let's back up a little bit so before you moved to tennessee and before you got dialed in with these guys what what did you do what was your life like in in you know back home where what were you doing for a, a job a career before you moved i was uh well, so I, to, to put light to all of it, I guess, of what I how I got into it is I became a shovel man for basically it's a construction company that maintains and develops telephone lines that are either underground or aerial. So um, I started doing that as a shovel man and, you know, fast forward six years later or four years later into it. I ended up becoming a copper splicer and then still in the maintenance world side of things. So I would take care of all the copper end of telephone works for CenturyLink. This is the people that we got our work from. So I did that for six years. I was a shovel man, excavator operator, um, spotter, you name it, aerial guy, aerial help guy. Do I mean, you then still I ended think it. you can run an excavator? Oh, hundred percent. I, I tell the guys all around me. I tell the guys here in the South, I'm like, ah, I don't think you guys understand. You wouldn't have to pay me a dime to run one of those things. You fill that thing up and. That is hilarious. That's awesome. So what, what made you, or what got you into hunting? What was that a family thing or. No, well, my dad was into deer hunting, but my, my dad never duck hunted, really. He never took me duck hunting. My first duck hunting experience was actually with uh, my brother and his friend, and they took me out. And from there on, it was, you know, game over. And But I had, like, a second rebirth because that was a duck hunt, you know, in a water with a public, you know, setting. Yeah. My goose hunt, my first goose hunt, that's where things, like, really kind of, like, snapped inside of my head that I really wanted to do this for the rest of my life. Just because of the simple fact of me and my brother were in a cornfield, but we didn't have layout blinds. We're, dude, we're, we're, we just didn't have the want or need to get layout blinds. Well, his buddy was like, dude, just get a, um, a burlap blanket. It's like a blanket that's like kind of like, I don't know, thicker yarn or whatever. Yeah. And just throw the corn leaves over us. And I'm sitting there. You can't see anything, like not a thing. And me and my brother are shoulder to shoulder. And, we're just waiting for Nick, which was his name, Nick Snyder. And I'll never forget, he'd say, kill him. And me and my brother would rock it up, you know, laying flat on the corn ground. And, and they'd be like five or six yards out. And it was, we limited out in less than like three volleys. And it was just, from there, there on, it was like goose hunting was the only thing that I wanted to live, breathe, and talk about. And I ended up getting a call, you know, ordered from Nick. Cause he was one of the staff members through um, Mokir. So um, I ended up just immediately immersing myself inside of the waterfowl space. Like, in, like, like in the snap of a finger. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's when it happened. You know, I, <clears throat> my first time was with my dad and uh, my cousin and the first bird that flew in it and it was a gadwall and, and I shot killed 
and I'm telling you, I fell in love with it. And it's like, I think about ducks at least 10 times a day. Like it comes oh, up yeah. in conversation on anything and everything. It, dude, it, it, it's, it's a never, like people talk about off season and, 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 and during the season, but we never actually ever stop thinking about it or at least talking about it. You know what I mean? We're either bringing up our pictures of, you know, this hunt or that hunt. And it's not always like how many birds you kill. I mean, 90% of the time you're showing other buddies the funny times that you had. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. And but, it was, um, and I tell you, I had my, I, I got to say it. I got to bring it up. Most people know about it now. I've got it. So I had my first um, really bad hunt and I went to Arkansas. We did the, uh, snow goose competition a couple weeks ago and i've never seen this many birds in my life like it was easy 10k birds coming in they were starting to they were starting to funnel and and spin and snakehead right into us and i'm telling you it was it was sweet and now i got to tell the backstory so there was a there was a cameraman filming this hunt and there's 10 of us well nine 10 including me and in this a-frame <laughs> and i went to take a video now mind you there's a cameraman but i went to take a video on my phone because i've never seen anything like it and i you if i take a video i usually use snapchat and mm-hmm. and then i just save it because i'm either going to put it on my story or i'm going to send it to people well i didn't take it with snapchat i took it with my phone camera and I didn't know that the new iPhones have auto flash. <laughs> oh my gosh. I took a video. The flash comes on. I throw my phone in the blind bag. And I'm t- I've am i never seen Caleb so mad in my entire <laughs> life. Yeah, and I, I see it. That I was, see it. that was, I let the whole team down. I'm telling you, I maybe pulled the trigger five times that morning and... I you put, went straight oozer on that on that snow goose hunt. Oh, bro. I put my head in my jacket. I'm sitting there. Like, my mouth is in my jacket, and I'm yeah. contemplating. I'm like, I'm going to sell it. I'm selling everything. I'm selling all my gear, all my guns, all my ammo. I'm done. I'm like, I'm over it. I'm done. So, took, you know, took a couple days. Kind of like, okay, it's no big deal. It happens, yada, yada, yada get back in the groove and now i'm like all right i'm fired up again i kind of want to go back i kind of don't i kind of want to go go just murder these snow geese just for payback kind of want to be like i don't know if i want to kill snow geese again so did that first time in arkansas first hunt in arkansas and it was a complete bust and i literally have never felt like shit in my entire life (laughs) <laughs> that was brutal and yeah that, that, the state of arkansas will do that to you bro that the state of arkansas chewed me up spit me out and then kicked me in the ditch that's what a lot of people don't understand about arkansas is. <laughs> that is it, it, i'm not it, i'll it, tell it, you now i'm not ready for the big leagues <laughs> yeah the big league ain't even ready for 90 percent of the fucking country exactly bro people think they can go to arkansas and win and that is not the case 
you know, you got to know what you're doing before you even get to Arkansas. And then when you get to Arkansas, there's just so many different variables. I mean, there's people that are paying thousands of dollars for these leases. I'm, and, and that's just it. If, if you ain't got the infrastructure, you ain't going to hunt at that level. Speaking of, people pay thousands of dollars. We paid $1,000 to hunt this field, and I busted it for the whole team. You talk about a kick in the nats. Yeah, no, that definitely, that definitely would be a kick in the nats. Yeah, that's why, that's why I try to stay away from the whole snow geese. Oh my gosh! And yeah, so now, I mean, the only good thing that came out of that trip in Arkansas is I got a new nickname. <laughs> Flashy McFlash or what? Flash, <laughs> plain simple Flash. <laughs> you should. Yeah, you should have told me that because I'm gonna start calling you Flash. Your your name is going in my phone as Flash now. <laughs> it was brutal. I ain't got to be there for all that. I I just got to know the story, and that's about it. Oh my gosh, I will I'll never live it down. And but that's what makes me want to go back next year, or well, this year, and it just fucking murder them. Flash wants redemption. Flash. Once redemption, I'm leaving my phone in the truck. You best believe it. Oh, gosh. That's funny. That was brutal. That was terrible. So, golly. Let's flip the script. I got to get off this topic. It gets me It gets me aggravated. Um, so, <laughs> I just, I, I can't. So, we, um, we were talking about um, prior, prior work and everything. So, when did it go from, I want to kill... To, I want to sit back and watch people kill, and I want to have a camera. I want to record it. I want to edit it. How did what transferred you from killer to filming? Uh, I can't really make it a short story, so everybody's gonna hear the long version of it. But <laughs> that's what we're here. <laughs> I've for. always been a per. Yeah, I'm always been a person that you know, when we go out and have fun with friends, like either on the boat or at the lake or just out hunting i'm always taking pictures and videos so many that people are like levi just put your phone down <laughs> well i was always the guy that wanted to capture the moment so once i started gravitating towards waterfowl and enjoying it so much i'm like Dude, there's so many moments that i could be capturing and i can't really capture them at the say the level or the expectation that i would like to see them and from that point on i was like man i want a camera and I put it off, put it off, put it off. Well, when we got those Joe Biden checks, I was on the road working in Sioux City, Iowa. And I was like, well, thanks, Joe Biden. I'm going to go buy a camera with this. <laughs> That's the only good thing Joe Biden's ever done for anybody. But, yeah, exactly. I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to mark this money down as something that I'm going to enjoy, let's do it with a camera. And it was like $600 for a Rebel T7 with a kit lens, which... If I ever tell people to buy a camera, don't buy kit lenses. Those <laughs> I turned around and bought another lens and started taking pictures with it and wasn't thinking nothing of it. And I started forcing my friends to go out and, and basically be my my buddy that wants me to take pictures you you know, were, with you them or whatever. You were forcing your friends to be guinea pigs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and until hunting season and I got hunting season and I was like, holy crap, I like this. And I learned it so fast 
because I already knew what I was looking for because I've always been looking for that moment when I was even with my cell phone, but I couldn't get to that potential. Like I said, so I was like, well, I'm, I really enjoy this. So when I was having my podcast, I wanted to start developing my own marketing assets, like photos and videos and everything. I wanted to do it all my own. I didn't want to pay somebody to, to come and do it or whatever. So if I wanted to do video, I knew I needed a new camera. So I ended up pulling a loan out at a very high loan and ended up purchasing a Canon R5 and a bunch of miscellaneous stuff with two lenses from a buddy that I met through Instagram. And from that point on, it was, you know, a camera that is 10 times better than the rebel. And it was, it was game over there for me. I mean, I was bringing it into the top golf, even though you're not supposed to without like, Anyways, I always found a way to bring my camera everywhere I fucking could. Right, <laughs> right. And it it became basically an extension of who I was or who I'm going to be. And it, it, it changed literally everything I did day to day. I mean, when I was getting off work, I was thinking about my camera, buying stuff for my camera, researching stuff about my camera, and then researching how to create better photos, research and how to get into video editing. And I mean, I self-taught myself from the beginning to the end. Now I had a ton, a ton of friends right off the bat because of the podcast. And I just, I could go and call somebody that has been doing this camera stuff and ask them, you know, hey, is this good or bad? And they would give me better, good information. And, and that's how I think I push forward and leveled up, I guess you could say, or, got more knowledgeable with the cameras just because I reached out to quite a few people. But at the same time, I was, when it came to a hard time or if I effed up, it was always just, uh, okay, don't do that next time. You know what I mean? So no, it, a camera definitely took my life. That was upside down at the time to really make it simple and flip it right side up. It was the weirdest thing ever. That's so sick. That's awesome. So you get dialed in, you change your life, things are happening for you, you get a call, you go to Tennessee, first day on the job, you're in flooded timber in Arkansas, correct? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? Could, I South mean, Dakota boy that si- has worn waders like twice in his life, and that'd be the third time. And you're like, and that's the thing, like you're living your your life is what myself and other guys that are into it you're living the life that they dream of and that's pretty badass i know and that's the thing is too is i tell people all the time that that's why i don't boast or do anything online about what i do or i haven't been really documenting it on a personal level just because the second that i started to figure out which took literally a few weeks in the south to recognize that there is thousands of people that would be dying at the seat just to be, you know, doing what I am for the simple fact of it, 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 it's not simple to go into those scenarios. And another reason why it came so fast that I understood that is because it was even a hectic to get me in that boat with another employee of Rolling Thunder, which is Drake Levy. Now that first you know, duck season, 
they wanted to see what I had. So, I mean, I had to give it my all, you know? Right. And I knew nothing about it. I didn't know that you get in and out of the boat fast, that there's, you know, running involved, that there's long hikes involved through the water. I mean, I could tell you Arkansas stories with Drake right off the bat that me and him could laugh about for days and also that I could laugh about for days, but they were very gruesome walks. They were very awesome hunts, but, and to really add up all the Arkansas flooded timber hunts that I've done, I still have not seen the show and Drake and Riley, they both know I haven't seen the show and they both feel horrible that I still haven't seen the show because I have put a lot of work into it. I've never even loaded a gun or even brought a gun into the Arkansas woods, only a camera. So, um, for me not to see the show still to this day, it's, it's hard. And that's why I'd say Arkansas can chew you up and spit you out because it's been chewing me up and spitting me out every living and breathing moment that I come into Arkansas <laughs> every time. Every time. Golly. I cross that bridge and I'm like, maybe, maybe, nope, maybe, nope. <laughs> nope, nope. So did you know, tying it back a little bit, did you know um, Drake at all before starting at Rolling Thunder? No, I didn't know anybody down here. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know Rolling Thunder Game Calls existed. Really? No, wow. no, I didn't. I'm serious. I didn't. I knew nothing about the South. I've heard <laughs> about Arkansas. Yeah, I've heard about Arkansas flooded timber, and I've looked at booking flooded timber hunts, and I'd seen the price, and I said, "Yeah, I'm I'm fine with my cornfields and my geese that come in really simple." And my and my yard blanket. To... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I just lived a simple fucking life up there. Yeah. And very simple and the life down here is i mean it's it's simple in, in places and the way that people make it but i mean there's there's always something going on down here so so do your parents do they understand like what you do and like you're making money what like doing what you love and like do they do they comprehend it or is it like you got to trust the process mom and dad or or were they like slapping on the ass and like, all right, go chase your dream. Or was it just kind of like, was it a sore subject, you know, when you're going to leave out of town and you're going to live out of town? Um, that's a great question. No, to answer to short answer, you know, but to long answer you when I was 18 and talked about that shovel job, mm -hmm. that's the day that I left and I still have not ever came back to Mitchell, South Dakota. So I've been on the road for seven years. So my parents have lived seven years of my life with them, knowing them, with always being gone. I'm never there, maybe a few weekends. Um, when I was working on the road when I was 18 to probably the age of 21, I would drive seven hours to, you know, Grimes, Iowa or, or uh, Grinnell, Iowa, and say I'd drive there or I would leave there from Des Moines, Iowa, and I would drive seven hours straight to Mitchell just to hang out Saturday and then drive back Sunday so I could be back at work on Monday. I did that for about, I don't know, say four years. Long story short, no, my parents, they didn't understand it right off the bat. They knew that I was doing my podcast and they're very like supportive of it. But when it came to the point of me telling them that I was quitting my job, 
and going and driving 14 hours south to a place and company that I know nothing about to maybe have a possibility, a chance at a job that they don't understand. Yeah, it was weird for them. It really was. They didn't, my dad didn't understand the concept. I know they didn't, but my mom was always very supportive of it. And when I told them that I did get the job and that I was moving down there, I mean, they jumped to their feet. They, they came to Sioux Falls and we had a night, I drove to Mitchell and spent a few nights with them. Then they came to Sioux Falls, helped me pack my stuff into my U-Haul, you know, saying those goodbyes when I was leaving Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I was driving 14 hours down south to pretty much, like, I'm moving there. Like, I've, I've never moved my stuff for a while because I always lived in hotels, and my stuff was always, you know, nowhere they were there yeah. i didn't have anything you know right. what i mean yeah like, there wasn't there wasn't anything to move yeah until i found myself in sioux falls well anyways yeah no they they didn't understand it for the first four or five months six months and then they st- i started sending them photos and videos constantly of you know my work because obviously it's not going to social media i can send them anything i want because it's my parents but anyways like they would start to realize that, you know, like Levi is doing things that is benefiting a company and he's actually doing work, nor did they ever think that I was out just, you know, partying or having fun and not, not realizing that, you know, I still got life goals to accomplish. But anyways, they actually came down to the shop. We had the Levi cut release of the call. So they got to see all that all go down and, we got to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, where the Smoky Mountains are on the far east side of Tennessee, and got to go spend a few three days over there with them. So, yeah, that's when it really, you know, sunk in for them to, like, see where I work, see my office, kind of see the environment that I've been in in the last year. Um, all those things started to wrap up in their heads, and ever since then, it's been a, it's been a very good understanding of, like, Levi is busy. Like he's actually, he's like, you know, he's, he's doing something with his life. <laughs> that, yeah, that absolutely. And nor did they ever think that it was against that ever. It was just like, they didn't, they didn't understand it right off the bat, nor would most parents, you know, I mean, if I raised my child and he said that he was going to go be a videographer for a duck call company for a salary job, I would probably give him a weird look in the face too. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But, all, all things come to consideration when you really look back and you think about, you know, how companies run. So when they came and and they saw the Levy cut, they and and saw your office and everything, was that their first time in the South? That was the first time in Tennessee. My dad's flown to Nashville, gone to a NASCAR race, but he's never like, you know, he's never immersed himself into the Southern spirit. I guess is what I'm trying to get Did at. None of them show have. him Southern hospitality. Yeah, and I, they, they, they definitely seen it because that. I mean, we had the, we had a, they had a live band out front of, um, out of the shop. So I mean, there was tables and drinks and everything like that. So I mean, no, they, they definitely enjoyed themselves. I'm pretty sure my mom tipped a few back too many, but, hey, um, you, you know, <laughs> that is that's what I'm talking about. Mama Duke's out here throwing back some. What was she? Uh, what was she drinking? I, I, Oh, she's a wine drinker, but she'll definitely just drink mixed drinks. But 
I told my mom, I was like, just just loosen up, have yourself a good time. That's why you drove 14 hours down here. You didn't drive 14 hours to be shy and maybe get get into the feeling of the vibe. It was like, just, you know, immerse yourself immediately because you're only here for a few short days. So they right. definitely did that. Right. So now, now you're, you're, you're moved, you're in Tennessee. What, how did you, where did you move to? Like, did you stay in a hotel for a couple of days? Did they, did they get you a house? How do, how do you find a place to live when you don't know anything about it? What made it really easy is that Spence has a, basically a barn behind his house that has living quarters in it, you know, bunk beds and stuff like that. And that's where his, uh, when his building was getting built, he actually ran Rolling Thunder out of there while the building was getting built. So, you know, guys that were coming to work at Rolling Thunder, they would stay there too. So um, it became a normal thing for Spence to be hiring on new people. And when he started advancing, he started hiring more people. Well, they all, most people, when they came to work at Rolling Thunder, they're not coming from, you know, Somerville, Tennessee. So they would find themselves staying there. So I stayed there for about four months until, um, basically a room became available in a house that some of the other employees were staying at. So basically there's a house that's not far from the shop that Rolling Thunder employees have pretty much been leasing the entire time that it's been there or for the, for some previous years. Yeah. Dang. That's wild. Living, well, yeah, living that's in a barn. Too, I, yeah. For four months with no Wi-Fi. <laughs> How does a cameraman survive? How do you work? Well, I don't do much work after after eight to five, man. Come There's on. a lot of stuff you can you can do from eight to five inside of an office. <laughs> you can't play PlayStation in a barn with no Wi-Fi, and I know how you are with your Madden. Well, that, see, now I didn't start playing video games again until just recently. But yes, I do play Madden from time to time when I get a chance. And I'll whoop your ass any day of the week in Madden. I'm still waiting for that game invite. <laughs> That is that is that will happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna win some money back on that. <laughs> <laughs> so we go in, we're clocking in eight o'clock. What does a day in the life consist of at Rolling Thunder? What what are we doing from eight to five? What was I doing eight to five when I started there, or eight to five now? No, eight to five. What's your yesterday? You had an eight to five hour day what what were we doing what what's a day in the life consist of so a film person inside of a place like that like or even just like i guess what i'd be is like a media specialist because i don't just handle the camera and the the video standpoint of it i handle you know other things that benefit the media side of that room well it can go from anywhere of you know taking a picture of a product image or a product and creating it into an image that can be displayed on Shopify as a product that we sell, like lassoing it out and Photoshopping it and doing all those things. And then, you know, I also have to edit films and create films and then send them off to Spence. So that way they can get um, proof so that we can go through them and make sure that, you know, it's at the standard or at the, at the level that we we want to put it at. So, um, on a day to day, I could be editing a film. I could be taking pictures of products. I could be, you know, getting prepared for things that are coming up. Like 
when we had the NWTF stuff, I had to, you know, prep what product shots and, and what we were going to post in the stories, like all that stuff takes, you know, planning and, and organization and it becomes a lot and you just got to stay on top of it. But on a day to day, I don't, I don't take a lot of photos and videos from day to day. Now, you know, when we're working on stuff for in the future, I'll be taking videos of inside the shop um, of stuff or of people to say, create a video or create a film or do things of that nature. Like the I am Drake Levy film, um, man, when he was building that call and they got it finished out, we decided that, you know, a film of Drake and about his call was going to be very beneficial. I mean, me and Drake were working eight days straight. And while he was working eight days straight, tuning numerous duck calls, I was in there in the other room editing a film about him. And so I, it, it all varies. And I get that question a lot and I really don't know how to answer it because every day that I walk in, I could be doing something that I already know about, but then there's always something new that gets not piled on, but gets added to the list, I guess you could say. Right. So now when you, when, when people search you and they see, and they search rolling thunder, they see these videos, are these videos your idea or is that, is that planned out in a meeting and we're like, this is what we want to go for. Or how does that, Uh, how does a video like the Drake Levy video? How does that, how did you get that? Like, badass like but it was like heartfelt kind of vibe to it that's definitely just creativity and i mean the the i am drake levy film you could get me talking about it forever because but to answer your question first it's a creativity style like you when you're filming it you have to have help from the person that you're filming as well so me being a person from South Dakota, not knowing anything about Butch Rich and Back or, you know, Rich and Tone, which is Drake's, you know, basically footsteps into duck calling. So in that instance, I had to like, kind of keep me informed with what was going on and keep telling me more about things as the days progressed. And it's funny story or not, when I was gonna go film that we decided that drake was like hey let's go to arkansas go to my mom and dad's and let's go do some filming and i said absolutely let's do it well as we're trekking over to arkansas he's like hey let's go over to this museum and they got a whole area that's dedicated to uh butch richenbach which butch richenbach was the founder and the ceo of rich and tone when it was going up well anyways butch is the one that pretty much you know, shaped Drake Levy as a duck caller. Well, when we were in that museum and I was taking all those videos, that's where a lot of it started to piece together for myself because I started to see that there's a lot of history inside of the duck calling business, not just for the sakes of the money or anything, but just the, the way that people love it. Right. And once I started to get myself immersed inside of that creativity style and was more exposed to what was around me, and what I was trying to actually display and what I was trying to display is how much of a story Drake Levy has. And his story was that he is a pronounced duck caller. A lot of people don't understand is they don't have to just go on that stage and blow a 90 second routine 
once, they might have to do it four times. And that's a perfect routine. And most people can't even blow their duck call for a solid 30 seconds when they're even out in the field. Imagine being on a stage in the, the, sta or in the standard of you need to blow this thing the greatest way you can possible. And they do it. And Drake did it three times, three world champs. There, and there's numerous other duck call competitions or tournaments that he won beyond those. And when I started to learn all that about him and the story of, say, the cut down, that's where, you know, that's where things started to mesh of how I wanted the storyline to basically come about. And it, it it's a never-ending thing because you can't just take that style or that, say, vibe from nowadays. Um, you have to change it every time because each story is different. And that's something that I've always wanted to do was tell a story in a video format for someone. And when the I Am Drake Levy started to become progressing, it, it was like me progressing too at the same time because that was my first ever film. And it was something that I've always wanted to do. And I, quite frankly, don't know how I did it. I don't. <laughs> Still to this day. It's because you're and, a and, badass. That's exactly why. Yeah, well, that, that may be. But at the same time, the I Am Drake Levy film, a lot of people loved it, but there's, there was still a lot of missing parts of like things that Drake has done that weren't, you know, put on there. And it wasn't because we didn't want them on there. It's just, I didn't have the time, didn't have the, like, I mean, things happen. You come up with short deadlines and the company needs things by a certain time. And, and that's just how things are because when you're in the world of business, there's just so many underlying things that, nor does the owner or the people that are working for it know that's going to come afloat and problems come about everywhere. And at the same time, ideas come afloat out of nowhere. Yeah. And you just, you have to be versatile and on your feet. And when I say I had eight days to edit that, I had eight days to edit that and eight days to somebody editing at that time. They're like, Oh, well, that's not even that bad. But for me, it was, I mean, I was in there way past the eight to five clock time. You know, what I mean, each day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I've I've watched that film many many of times, and it's it, I I could watch it right now. It, it's uh, it is fantastic. I've watched it. I I think I kept kept count of how many times I watched it, and it was like over twenty. And that doesn't count the times that I've rewatched it while I was editing it. And to add to the whole style thing or the creativity thing, I learned a lot from that film because I would do like five minutes of editing and then I would sit back and unplug everything. Not unplug everything. I would unplug my displays just so I was looking at one one display and I was concentrated on one thing and I would break it down. And I would, and I would say do another five minutes. I wouldn't just watch that next five minutes over and over. I'd watch the whole thing over, then the whole thing over, and the whole thing. And as it was building, I was just re-watching it every time just to get little knickknacks out of the way. Knickknacks are, you know, things that are wrong, like either audio is crushed or, or the, the color's wrong or the clip is, is cutting at the wrong time. That's what I talk about, knickknacks. And you, and, and you 
taught yourself how to do all of this, correct? Yes. When it came to video editing, I didn't reach out to no one because I, I learned one thing that was so great about video editing is when you tend to look at other people's work or you tend to reach out about video, 90% of the time you're not going to get a whole lot out of that person just because, you know, they, they're very secret about how they, they create videos. And, and, and for that reason is because they're an artist, you know, you're, you're still, you're not going to be able to go up to a painter that sells paints for, for, for sells prints for, you know, thousands on the dollar and ask him, you know, exactly what paint strokes he runs. You know what I mean? You're not yeah. going to learn his ways right off the bat. Now that's a, that's a very, that's a very wide fucking analogy. I know that I know it is, but <laughs> what, what I'm getting at by all this is that, I wanted to perfect me. Right. That's it. Right. I didn't want to. I didn't want to learn from somebody else and then learn their ways. And then again, I went to film school because Spence gracefully and believed in me and, and sent me off to, you know, film school. And to put into perspective of that, but I did learn a lot from somebody teaching me about something that I didn't want to learn about. You know. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I get that, and I, I mean, it's just, I could talk to you all day long, I'm, I get intrigued by all of this, and it's, it's freaking badass, it's, I know, we could, we need to, we need to do a part two, um, we're getting to that time, we gotta, we gotta close her down, but man, I really appreciate you hopping on here, man, that was, that was big, I, uh, I owe you, and I would love to do a part two with you. Sounds good, my man. All right, my brother. Well, yes, thank you again, and I will uh, see y'all on the flip side next week. Thank y'all.